Welcome to episode two of the 28092 podcast. Today's episode is a story of chance. It's a story of willpower, of positive attitude, and, and of giving back. And our guest is Tommy Dellinger, one of my best friends growing up, and he was diagnosed at an early age with Parkinson's. Um, because of that, he had retired early from the Highway Patrol, the North Carolina Highway Patrol. Part of that, uh, he tells that story and uh, his treatment because he had a very um, uh, unique brain surgery treatment for Parkinson's. So if you know somebody who has Parkinson's or maybe has been diagnosed or struggling with the decision whether or not to do that, this might give you some insight. And then also the giving back part is uh, Tommy deciding to walk across the country to raise money for Parkinson's research. Pretty amazing story. And a lot of miles, around 2,000 to uh, walk across the country. So without further ado, here we go with today's podcast and our guest, Tommy Delger. How you doing, man? Good. <laughs> we, um, Good. I, I, when I talked about getting you on the podcast, um, I said, you know, everywhere I go for people who, who do know you and around Lincoln and a lot of people know you or know that we're friends, grew up together and all that. The first question I get is, how's Tommy doing? So generally, how how you doing? And we'll get to more specifics later, but. How you doing? I'm, I'm doing well. Um, some days better than others, but yeah. uh, overall doing good. Good. So trying, tell us, trying to stay cool. Yeah, well, good luck on that one. Uh, as, as we're recording this, it's like the end of August. It's like um, humid as crap out there. Um, yeah. Tell us about tell us about how you grew up. You you grew up in Krause. You're in the big metropolis of Krause, didn't you? Yeah, sure did. I grew up in Krause pre-dollar general days. <laughs> That's that's how they divide <laughs> Krause history, free yeah, dollar general. Yeah, yeah. That used to be the uh, fish camp. Oh where, yeah, where it's located now. Right. I grew up in Krause and spent time in Cherryville um, on the weekends with my grandparents. Um, went to La Memorial Elementary, West Lincoln Junior High, and West High West Lincoln High School. Graduated in 1985, and I, you know that's where you and I became friends. Yeah. Growing up through school, um, went to college right out of high school against my better judgment, but Gene and Judy had other plans. That's your mom and dad, Gene yeah. and Judy. Um, yeah. Funny thing about that, I wanted to go right into the military. Um, wanted to fly, but I didn't have the, I wasn't diligent enough in my studies to get a four-year degree right out of high school i wasn't mature enough well i don't know why i wasn't mature enough to get a degree so i really don't know why i thought i was mature enough to go from high school to flight school with the <laughs> army but in my mind that was the way it was going to work right but gene and judy were against it and they they said we'd rather you go to college so i went to Gaston. my brother two years later let him go to the army right out of high school um i guess they looked at me and said well Tommy couldn't do it. <laughs> we know Michael King. <laughs> so right. anyway, uh, I went and went to college. Didn't have a very spectacular college career the first go around. But like me, had a lot of fun. Oh yeah, yeah. 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 That was uh, that was part of the problem. <laughs> too much fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, too many nights spent with brother Jim Beam and Jack Daniels. Right. Yeah. Uh, I feel your pain. Um. So. After getting the, we like you up here at Appalachian, but you're going to have to take world history a third time in order to come back. <laughs> uh, I went into the military, tried to go to flight school again. Yeah. 
that didn't work out, but I did get a job as an, I was a navigator and a co-pilot in a helicopter. So I did that for a few years. Um, now you, you were stationed in Germany, right? Yeah. How long were you in Germany? Oh, from 1989 to almost 1991 to mm-hmm. late 91. Um, my son was born over there. So we had to wait. I had to live over there about six months as a civilian and get all the paperwork done because he was born in a civilian German hospital. Right. So I had to get some paperwork done to get him dual citizenship and come mm-hmm. come back here. Uh, when I got back home, I decided to go into law enforcement. That seemed like a s- easy transition to go sure. from... The military, which is very structured, has chain of command that you, you know, follow. And police is the same way. Right. So I went to rookie school in 92. Yeah, July 92, I graduated and started with the Cherville Police Department in August of 92. Then I went to Lincoln in March of 93 and stayed there. August of 97. Yeah. Then I went to patrol school and joined Highway Patrol. Hardest training you had to do was it military? Was it high, a Highway Patrol? I know you've talked about the the boot camp they have for, for new Highway Patrol recruits. Probably going to catch a lot of grief for this. <laughs> the Highway Patrol school, to me, was harder. Really? Main reason was it started over every Sunday. We went home on Friday. Yeah. Come home. Drink soft drinks, eat <laughs> snicker bars. Yeah. We get back on Sunday, they weigh you in every Sunday. Wow. So heaven help you if you gain a pound. <laughs> Could they try and, to run it back off of you uh, then? They do. Yeah. And then it started over every Monday morning at 5 a.m. Hmm. Every day was very structured, especially the first month, month and a half trying to weed out the people that didn't really want to be there. Yeah. I remember we were doing PT one day, and uh, we were doing push-ups. Now, we only had to do 10 this particular day, but everybody in unison has to do a perfect 10 or you start over. Right. So we did 10 for about an hour. And one of the cadets at the time, she jumped up and ran off the PT field, didn't say a word, just took off running. I I overheard some of the instructors say, damn, she'd run like that to begin with. She'd be just fine. Did um, did a lot of people drop out of highway patrol school? We started with 63 and graduated 48. Wow, so it's pretty tough then. Most what was the most of it physical dropouts, or what, what was the school? Most, most of them just didn't like being yelled at, right? And some of them just—it's not for everybody. No, no, yeah. I, I, yeah, absolutely. Law enforcement and, in general is not. And for I don't have any ill will toward anybody to quit. I mean, to say that I didn't think about it <laughs> I, would be lying. Yeah, <laughs> would be. Um, but it was—it was probably tougher. Of course, now I was just in the army. I know all the Marines out there. But right. I say that parasite, and I, it probably is. Because what your brother Michael was he Marines, right? Or no, was he, he army too? He was in the army. Okay, he, he was in the old guard up right. in Washington. He was a 
toy soldiers, what I call them. <laughs> right. Uh, they, yeah, the, where they do all the dress blues all the time. Yes. They do uh, like ceremonial stuff. Yeah. yeah, he was in a ceremonial salute battery. Um, my grandmother claims to have seen him amongst the 500,000 people that were at the 1989 George Bush inauguration. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so so being a highway patrolman but you with uh you're you're the in a highway patrol car you're the number one thing people don't want to see in their rear view mirror that seems like it would be a tough job i'm sure you tell some uh, how it is from that side of the of, of well, being a highway patrolman because you know it's different most the, people don't get that yeah the, the thing i guess you know stopping cars arresting drunks and investigating wrecks that's the three biggest things the highway patrol does. I got used to the stopping cars. I got used to the arresting drunks. One thing that I never got used to yeah. was the fatality oh, wrecks. Yeah. Um, notifying people yeah. that their family members are mm. dead is not easy and it's not fun. And so that's up to the highway patrolman investigating the incident? Usually, unless there's several of us working together and then as long as, you know, everybody's on the same page about what happened. Uh, right. You know, you, you can go for other troopers or whatnot. Right. You can't. I says, to me, I, I would want to pass that off to somebody else, anybody but me, I would say. Well, I, I, yeah, I, I won't say I got used to it, but you just. It's, it's part it, of the job. Right. Yeah. Um, that's probably the toughest thing. The thing that I forgot, or not forgot, how do I explain this? When I was working, it never dawned on me what the person sitting beside of me was thinking. Yeah. I didn't really care. I was just working. I'm, right. I'm writing a ticket. That's part of my job. Right. I never thought the guy sitting beside me was going, God, he's writing me a ticket. Right, yeah. I've <laughs> been know? that other guy, so I know what you Well, you know, I, I was that other guy in Marshville back in the 80s, and, <laughs> but I long forgot how that was, what that felt like. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was a fun career. Um, met a lot of good people. Uh, I got to walk with Payne Stewart this summer at the yeah. U.S. Open before he was killed in a plane yeah. crash in November or October of that year. Um, got to see a lot of cool events. Yeah, because the highway patrol goes, I know like at the Charlotte Motor Speedway, you guys, cause that's probably a nightmare situation where you got that many people leaving, but but you do get to go see some stuff like that. Yeah. And in and, and, uh, North Carolina Highway Patrol, do you, you guys, I know in Tennessee they did, you travel with like the college sports yeah. teams and stuff? I wasn't. I wasn't pretty enough. To do that, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was part of our pretty people squad. Uh, Is that right? They were usually most of those guys are ex football players. I got you, but yeah, we had a couple that traveled with NC State, uh, Carolina. I'm not sure if Wake Forest. I'm sure they did. Duke, you know, all yeah. the state funded school and in private schools, um, the bigger universities. Yeah. Um. Tell us, tell us a, a highway patrol story. I know you've got some where you've run, where you've either had to arrest somebody or something. Because we're not giving anybody's well, names. Nobody's going to know who we're talking about. Years ago, it was probably 2000. I was in an unmarked car. And I got sent to a wreck on the uh, Dallas Terrible Highway. Yeah. Pulled up. There were several fire trucks and uh, 
an ambulance or two. So I got out of my car, uh, started out walking around, talking to the firemen, the volunteer firemen, and um, asked them, did they have any witnesses? Yeah. They pointed a young man out, and uh, I, I looked at him, got, wrote down his name. Then he come busting up through the pack of the group of volunteer firemen that were there directing traffic. He said, I saw it. I saw the whole thing. I was behind them when it happened. I said, okay, sir, what were you driving? He said, the moped right there. <laughs> Red flag number one. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. <laughs> so my witness to this wreck is riding a liquor sickle. <laughs> That's all you used to call it, yeah. And it's this is about three in the afternoon. It's yeah. not the prime time drunk catching time. <laughs> uh, so he comes busting up there. I saw the whole thing. So I put him in my car. Now we're this is May June. It's not real hot outside. Yeah. But we got in the car, and I turned the heat up just a little bit. Kind of mixes with the odors better. <laughs> we were talking, and he was telling me what he saw. And I'd made my decision that he's, he was impaired. So yeah. I, I wrote down his statement, which I can't remember how coherent of a statement it was. Right. But I got out of the car and went around the back and coming to the passenger side where he was sitting. And, uh. Place him under arrest for DWI. <laughs> so we, I finish up with the wreck. We're on our way to jail. Now you got two reports to write. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're on our way to jail. And he says, I said to him, I said, well, you know, I don't, you know, why you got a DWI the first time, I don't know. Um, but, you know, have you learned anything from this this? occasion yeah he looked at me and said yes sir i learned to never volunteer to be a witness anymore <laughs> so we chuckled about that on the way to jail <laughs> on the way to jail yeah oh, my man. wife she used to give me uh she couldn't believe the way i would interact with people i arrested yeah i would be on the phone with her and say i'm gonna be late i've got arrested drunk and she, he would just be yammering away, and she'd say, what's he talking about? I said, oh, we're talking about Tennessee football. <laughs> she said, and you've arrested him? I said, yeah. I said, well, ain't nothing personal, plus he's a Tennessee fan. <laughs> doesn't mean I can't talk yeah, to him. Yeah. doesn't mean I can't interact with him. Yeah, yeah. But there's there's countless. I'm sure. Some are more appropriate for <laughs> Off podcast, I guess. Right. No, yeah. I've heard a few that I thought, yeah, that uh, maybe you wouldn't want to tell. So we we were talking about the walk coming up here uh, when you walked across the country to raise money for Parkinson's research. So when did you notice you had symptoms? When did it start to happen? Because you eventually had to leave the highway patrol because of it. But what? when did that all start? Because you're young. Most people think of Parkinson's. Yeah. They think of somebody who, you know, in their 70s, 80s, you know, whatever. But that's not at all how it happened to you because you're not even in your 60s yet. No, I just turned 56. Yeah. Um, yeah. It started in 2005, I believe it was. I helped... Uh, I was helping some folks move some patio furniture 
And when I finished, I noticed I had a muscle twitch in my mm-hmm. right elbow. Like a spasm or something? Well, that's what I thought. Yeah. I thought I had just overdone it, lifting the furniture and moving it around. Right. Um, and so I didn't think anything about it. I mean, heck, I was only 37. Yeah. Um, I thought I'd ever done it and didn't really think about it. And it, it just, over time, it just was more of an annoyance than anything. Mm-hmm. It really, nothing, it wasn't doing anything. It wasn't affecting me in a negative way. It was just irritating. Right. But then as time progressed later that that year on into 2006, I noticed that my right arm didn't swing as naturally as the left side did. Right. So I went to a uh, neurologist and, well, I just went to a locally to a neurologist and <laughs> He did all these tests. Some involved sticking my muscles with these big, long prongs, and it was very uncomfortable. Right. And he took uh, MRI, did MRI or scan of my brain, um, trying to rule out things that you could see, you know, taking place in the brain itself. Right. And then he said, I didn't have... ALS, which is Lou Gehrig's disease. Right. And he said, I most likely did not have Parkinson's. And I said, okay. Because at your age of 37, that's pretty rare. <laughs> well, oops, sorry. Um, no, you're good. Yeah. Well, plus I, I only had the, the one issue with my arm not swinging. Right. Um, you didn't, you weren't shaking or anything no, like I that. I didn't like have people a tremor. Yeah. Not yet. Right. Um, so I kind of took him at his word. But after that visit, things started to take place. I noticed my my gait was kind of unsteady. Yeah, when I would walk, um, and my legs felt like they were cramping up. Mm-hmm. They were getting real stiff, real rigid. Mm-hmm. So by this time, this is two thousand seven. Uh, my wife was well, she. We just started dating at the time, but uh, she had worked for a neuro with a neurologist in Charlotte. Mm-hmm. Um, so she said, "I might want to go see him." Um, I went to see him. He gave me a series of tests, uh, some balance tests and things of that nature, physical agility and right. dexterity with my fingers, and um, he said. Try this medication. And it was for Parkinson's. And he said, mm-hmm. basically, at that time, and I don't really know what's out there now, but at the time, there was no litmus test for right. Parkinson's. There's no blood test. There's no nothing there like that. There wasn't. Yeah. I don't know if there is now or right. not. Um, but there was no test, per se, that he could give and say, yes, you've, you've got it, or right. no, you don't. Basically, they give you the medication. If the medication helps... Then that's what you've got. Yeah. So he, you know, he put me on medication for Parkinson's, and it seemed to help. Right. So he then sent me to a specialist, a mo- movement disorder specialist at the University of Virginia in Charlottesville. Yeah. 
Um, that was when I was 39. And he said, yeah, I believe that's what you've got. And he had actually done some work with Michael J. Fox. Um, right. Briefly, not not long term. Just uh, He was one of many, I think, that Michael J. Fox has seen. For people who don't know Michael J. Fox, uh, the actor who was in um, Family Ties and a bunch of other stuff. Back, Back to, to the, the Future is a big one there. And uh, so he started, he he also had to basically retire early, even though he occasionally does some work. But And he started the Michael J. Fox Foundation mm. for Parkinson's research. So yeah. that's that's um, the tie-in there. He, had, him and he sent me back. Um, and I started going to a movement specialist here. And through all of those visits, uh, they were able to determine... Uh, some of the things I was feeling back in as early as 2002 were actually the manifestation mm. of the, the oh, Parkinson's early the symptoms. Yeah. Uh, and at the time in 2002, I was doing triathlons. So yeah. it wasn't unusual for me to kind of overdo it working out. And, and to I have tri- a cramp or to feel yeah. stiff, yeah. And I just attributed all of that, even yeah. the muscle twitch that started with the patio furniture in 05. I just thought it was all I was overdoing it. And, right. Um, so after the official <laughs> diagnosis, yeah. Um, I told my supervisor at work, you know, I told him what I had. Because you were at the highway patrol at that yeah. time. What I had, what I was dealing with, what the prognosis was, um, what some of the um, treatments would be uh, in addition to medication, um, any type of movement, any activity that forces you to move, walking is is good. So they they worked with me. Um, They ensured that I had time to go work out. Mm-hmm. daily um and near the end of my career they put me on the day shift um mainly given uh talking to uh, driver's ed classes yeah um going to, mainly just going to school zones yeah. uh, enforcing um the school zone speed limits just not things that are not necessarily life and death kind of situations. Right. Or, yeah. Right. Trying to keep me as safe. The worst, the thing that I feared the most was some of the guys I worked with mm-hmm. getting hurt, trying to get to me because they thought I needed their help. Yeah. And that, uh, so that, I went to day shift and I worked there for a couple of years. Like I said, just talking to the student drivers and things yeah. of that nature. And then finally, I, I had a physical. They they put me on a schedule of getting a physical every year once they found out I had Parkinson's. Right. Um, and in, in May of twenty was it thirteen, I went to have my routine physical and. Uh, was May the sixth. That's how well, I mean. It's, it's how pivotal of a moment it was. Mm-hmm. It was May the sixth, twenty thirteen. I think it was a Monday. Um, I went to see our highway patrol doctor, and <clears throat> he gave me a few 
he tested my balance and things yeah. like that. And he said, I remember him sitting down and said, Tommy, how long have you had this? And I said, well, I've been dealing with it since the early 2000s, and this was 2013. He said, I think you've done enough. Yeah. And it really was like the weight of the world had been lifted off. Lifted yeah. off. I knew that I wasn't able to work, but I just kept working. Yeah. Or I knew it wasn't safe to work. Right. Um, <clears throat> I could muscle through the day, but it wasn't safe. Nah, it wasn't. Yeah. Um, so when they gave you your medication to start with and you were diagnosed, what, what, in other words, of your symptoms, how substantially did the medication help you? In other words, let's say if you were on a, I don't know how to, I don't know how to phrase this necessarily, but if you were on the scale of your Parkinson's conditions were, were, a, you know, out of a scale of 10, that time, say it was a six, did that take you back down to a three or did it just barely help? Well, or? it depended on what the medication was. Yeah, because those, they have side effects too. Because right. I'm, I'm imagining somebody who is dealing or knows somebody with Parkinson's or maybe dealing with this, going to listen to this and hear somebody else's experience. That's why I'm asking you that kind of stuff. And I, and I know medications change all the time and treatment protocols and all that. But just from your perspective, how, how did that help the, you? The, the first medication I took was Cinemet. And it's also known as Carbidopa Levodopa. Yeah. That's the primary medication for most Parkinson's patients. And it more specifically targets the tremor. Yeah. Um, Which you really didn't have a no, lot of that. You had more stiffness. and stuff. As, I got, as I got closer to going to see the neurologist in Virginia, I was having some tremor. Um, right. And it was really, um, it, it was more of when I got anxious right. or apprehensive. Um, a lot of times it'd be working at work and right. I'd be stressed out working a wreck or right. something. And I was worried that people would notice, um, notice my tremor and it would right. actually make the tremor a little bit worse. Right. Because I think most everybody associates when they think of Parkinson's, <laughs> well, you think of somebody old who has the old, tremors and they're shaking feeble. a lot. And yeah. And a lot of people I've seen, you know, uh, Facebook and social media videos of, of, of an old guy doing, you know, yeah. the severe shakes or whatever, but yours even though you had some of those, that wasn't the primary thing at that time, was it? No. Mine was <clears throat> stiffness and rigidity, slow movement. Right. Um, I, I can remember getting out at firearms training one day, and I got out slow because I couldn't you know, right. don't move fast. And one of the guys said, man, have you hurt your back? And yeah. I just said yes, just to avoid right. having to do, have the conversation, right? Because I didn't tell a lot of people other than the people I worked with closely, right? Um, and even in court, I would, you know, when I was on the witness stand, I would sit with my elbows up on the uh, little the desk area, desk yeah. area there where I was being questioned, so that if my arm started to move, I would be able to hold it still, right? So, and that's just some of the things you do. Yeah. You know, anyway. But, and then you, I took a medicine. If you take too much cinnamon or yeah. the carbidopa, it causes dyskinesia, which is that uncontrollable right. movement. Michael J. Fox exhibits a lot of those right. symptoms. Because he's you, moving around a lot. Right. He's and talking. that's just, a, just, just from years, I think, of taking the medication. Right. 
They give me a medicine for my legs. Well, the medicine for my legs makes you have, um, I don't know how to describe it. It can make you have uh, spontaneous um, out, out, outbursts of gambling. Uh, yeah, that's um, that's one of those weird side effects like people who take... Yeah. Uh, uh, was it sleeping drug that makes you know people go? Well, yeah, and it make, and it give you spontaneous urges. I believe is what they risk call. risk taking and stuff like yep. that. Yeah, um, but it'll have you gambling. Uh, That's such a weird side effect of any medication. But I mean, but if I guess if it's having to do specifically with your brain, why wouldn't it cause weird stuff like yeah. that? But yeah, and and there are different types of drugs that do the same have the same effect but have different side effects so you have yeah. to kind of shop around and try different stuff i guess and yes and and my wife will tell you we went through a dark period where i had some uh, drug that i was taking for my legs and uh it, it almost pushed us to the brink i yeah. mean and, um she was she was very you know you know my wife she's, oh yeah she's not exactly the <laughs> most affectionate well not affectionate but she doesn't show affection yeah. like I do right and uh, to see her crying because she was on a forum reading right. about what people were going through because she's a she's a nurse and yes. so she deals and she works in an emergency room situation so she sees severe cases all the time so in other words she's to say what you were trying to say a minute ago that she's not affectionate she's hardened to that kind of stuff so she, it doesn't really affect her as much but then when, she, when it well, affected you i guess i'll tell you a quick story about her heart <laughs> we had a we had a a boxer named charlie and we'd sent charlie off to be trained yeah they had charlie for five weeks finally i went and picked the dog up because i missed the dog <laughs> and uh when we come back or when i came back with charlie all charlie could do was sit and heal <laughs> in five weeks he's a slow learner so charlie so, anyway we went out to eat one night and left charlie in the crate and bless her heart she had diarrhea and the diarrhea blasted through the crate <laughs> onto the wall oh boy and shelly had a, a frank ritchie high speed come apart <laughs> that's my dad for anybody that doesn't know <laughs> well, um anyway she had a high speed come apart so next the next week i i give charlie away to somebody who wanted a, yeah. a boxer and uh broke my heart we were laying in bed about a week after we got rid of charlie and uh I was looking at, at something on the internet or TV on ASPCA commercial came on. I, <laughs> In I, the arms of an angel, uh, that song. Yeah. I started getting teary-eyed. She looked at me and she said, are you crying? <laughs> <laughs> And I, I sit straight up in the bed. I said, you are some cold piece of work. You know that? <laughs> and she said, well, it's just from years of working in the ED. That's what I'm saying, man. It's uh, just hard to that kind of stuff. But to see her emotional about the forum she had gotten on yeah. reading about this particular drug, yeah. um, it, it was very, very stressful time. Oh, yeah? And, oh, and I quit taking I remember going to see my neurologist, and I walked in, and he said, you look terrible. Yeah, I said I feel terrible, and I, I mean it's one of those drugs that the day I quit, 
I immediately felt different. Yeah. But you don't know until you take them. Right. And right. That's the it could thing. have been the opposite. It could have made it much better, but it just. That's it, the thing about Parkinson's. And I'm sure it, it's the same with other. Neurological diseases. Well, or just anything. anything in general. Yeah. Um, medication is hard to get synced up. Oh, yeah. I take one for for one symptom and it causes a side effect. Yeah. So you take an additional drug for that side effect and yeah. it causes another side effect. Yeah. I've got two that I take now. One makes you hyper. One makes you sleepy. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I get it. Uh, so it's a, it's a delicate balance Yeah, to find the right dosages. Now, I will say that prior to 2017, when I had the uh, brain surgery, yeah, I was taking about 24 pills a day. All at different times. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, oh, but, I remember being with you. And you would, you had to I mean, on your yeah, watch you, or your you, phone you, to remind you, you to take it. Remember being out at the flats or on yeah, the boat. yeah, on the boat or something. And I'd be out in the water, and I'd have to have either Shelly bring me medicine or me get out of the water yeah. and go take it every hour and a half or two. Hours. Right. And it's really, it's really aggravating. Oh I, yeah, yeah. I used to do it at work. I used to set an alarm on the phone. Yeah. Reminding me to take such and such medication yeah. at, at this particular time. And none of it seemed to be at the same time as I took everything else. Yeah. So speaking of that, you, you brought up the brain surgery. So at some point in there, you had heard, I don't know, did you read about it? Did you approach about it? And you, you went on to have what they call DBS, deep brain stimulation, stimulation where they well, implant probes into your brain. They literally drill holes in your head Yep. and, and yeah, and put wires and probes down in there. Yep. with a pack you wear that stimulates your brain and right, i've seen it's a, yeah it's yeah battery. yeah it's right under it's under right under the skin it's like a pacemaker yeah and and i think people who have seen this before well i, I know there are a couple videos online where and i saw your video uh, of this but where there's an older man on there he really has severe oh, tremors yeah, yeah. and they turn it on and his tremors it's almost like they're adjusting them and they go right away until yep. he's perfectly still and and that's the beauty of the, that particular um, surgery or procedure. It it will target the symptoms it's designed to target immediately. Right. I mean, it's just an instant on is what I would call yeah. it. Um, but that not, not everybody can have that, though, right? I mean, the, no. The way it came about, my neurologist and I had always talked about the possibility of, of DBS. But that's that's brain surgery. So I mean, well, that, so and I'll tell you why I put it off. Right, because it's brain surgery. Well, <laughs> that and I got certified as a scuba diver in 2012. Oh yeah, and it it was going to affect how deep I could dive. Oh uh, yeah, I remember that. I remember you talking. <laughs> and about I that. wanted to see some sharks, you know, <laughs> down around the 120 foot mark right. at, at wrecks out in the ocean. And I knew if I had DBS, I wouldn't be able to do it. Right. But eventually, it just got to the point where I was taking so much medication orally. And the off time, which is the time the medicine wasn't working, was getting greater and greater. So I was having to take more and more. Yeah. Uh, And then the side effects were getting more pronounced. And um, so in the fall of 2016... I started the process, and you had to go through psychological t- evaluations, right. and uh, they they even had us do tests, um, manual. I mean, just 
brainiac kind of test with putting things together like and, memory tests or something yeah or is it like puzzles yeah, and stuff yeah. like that okay um i forget what exactly it was called it was some type of test yeah basically it, it's all your cognitive skills rolled up in fox news fox alert. news got an alert. <laughs> joe biden done something <laughs> or they've given they've been dying, <laughs> they've trump, been again. dying trump again <laughs> yeah yeah anyway uh what was i talking about oh they're checking your cognitive skills. Right. Because there's always the possibility of some degra- degradation in your skill level after brain surgery. Yeah. So, so they got to get a baseline. I right. guess kind of, kind of like a concussion pre-baseline right. test or something. So yeah. I, I took the test, passed the test. Then the next thing they did was map <clears throat> the brain area they were going to target. This is where things get really fun. Yeah. About a week before the actual surgery, I went to my surgeon's office. Now, we're in his office. Yeah. And they put four wood screws in my skull. Like, okay, I mean, uh, they literally screwed them in or they, they... No, I mean, literally, they gave me little shots of Novocaine and with a screwdriver, with an electric screwdriver, he screwed in four, four uh, screws one, two, three, and four, and you know, two in the front of my skull, two in the back, and that was to hold the piece in place where they were going, uh, uh, so my head wouldn't move. Right. So, the to, so they had. So that's in other words, it holds a guide, so they can guide the holes down in there or whatever. Yes. yes. Okay. And, oh yeah. Now that was very uncomfortable. Because sure. You can hear every. You know. You, yeah. You can hear everything happening and it just going into your skull. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. So and then I had to wear them for a week before the surgery. So there, you know, I'm sitting at home with these screws in my head for yeah. a whole week, a solid week. And then the day of surgery came. I, I think you and Angie came down. Yeah. There. Oh yeah, I remember. Uh, um. I went and had surgery, and they wake you up about two thirds of the way through the surgery, and that is very surreal. Yeah. So they've got they they literally are drilling into your head. <laughs> yeah, well, and they've they're, already they're, done that. <laughs> yeah, but, but 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 they're placing the probes and they. Well, want... it's, yeah, yeah, and it's not like a arthroscopy, like you know, you know orthopedic surgeon has a, right. a light, a camera, and a tool, right? Where he can look on a screen, and what you can't do that with the brain. You can't right. put a camera and so right. He was uh, talking. The surgeon who was behind me, I couldn't see him. They had the, yeah, the little cloth Yeah, I talked to him. I said, <laughs> I asked him, was everything going all right? Yeah. Uh, he said, going fine. And I could hear him. Uh, my neurologist was beside me. <laughs> and the funny thing, when I, when I first woke up in the surgery, I looked over there and I said, Dr. Englert, what are you doing? She said, you're having surgery right now. I said, oh, yeah. And then I started looking around. I saw all the, you know, there must have been 15 people in there. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. And people from the company that make this components and whatnot. Um, but I, I would hear her calling off numbers. Uh, and I guess that was the depth in millimeters that they were going into my brain with each probe. Right. Cause they, they, and then they would ask me questions. Could I feel a sensation here or a sensation there? And one time he ramped it way up and it yeah. just, it paralyzed the right side of my face. And I was trying to talk and only the left side would move. Wow. Um, 
I struck up a conversation with my anesthesiologist, who was a South Carolina fan, about, <laughs> about SEC football. football in the middle of brain surgery. Well, I, I, while you're talking, I'm, I'm going to Google. I want to see how many people have had that kind of surgery because I, I know it's more common now than it was, but it's not a lot, I don't think. Well, I'll tell you this, and this is going to sound mean. When they first came out with it about 30 years ago or 25 mm -hmm. years ago, they did it mainly on older Parkinson's patients. Right. The theory was, I think, if something happens, you know, we would rather take the risk. Take On the somebody risk. who's lived a full life already. Right. Yeah. And I, and I don't know. I, I know exactly what you mean, but that, and, but yeah. And that sounds bad. But I, one reason I waited, you know, realistic in reality was just for them to perfect it as much as they could. Right. You know, my my fear, I, I had tons of fears going into oh, it. Oh, who wouldn't? I mean, right. Just a brain bleed, having a stroke while they're doing I mean, just that. Right. Um, and I'm sure there are those kinds of risks that it can infection, occur. Infection yeah. is a very common occurrence. Yeah. So they, they do, the, the surgery is in two parts. Um, they do the implant and they put the, the stimulators in the first surgery with all the hardware. Mm -hmm. um, then the second surgery is when they put the, I don't know if you can see it. I got a wire. It runs. No, yeah, I, I know. Yeah. Run, runs, under the, under the, the skin, skin on your scalp and runs back down yeah. beside so of your I'm neck. Gonna, yep. And, and down they to the do pack. that during the second surgery. They put right. all that hardware in. And then about two weeks later, is so you, it's about a month from the brain mm -hmm. surgery to the time they turn it on. Mm -hmm. So it's a long process. They, according to the uh, University of Michigan Health, that only about 7% of Parkinson's patients get a DBS and only about 1% of tremor patients um, <laughs> there have, have gotten it. So it's not as, it's not as common. Uh, they say uh, uh, this was from 2020. Uh, about 150,000 patients have had it. Yeah. Right. So that's, I mean, on the grand scheme of things, that's not a lot. That's not a lot. No. But, uh, but I'm sure it's gotten better and continues to get better. And for you, so. If I, if I were to turn it off right now, mm -hmm. I would lock up like the tin man from Wizard of Oz. Really? That yes. that bad? Well, I accidentally turned it off one day at the house. <laughs> <laughs> I was playing with the remote because <laughs> it has a, the first one you got didn't have that the second one, right mm -hmm. but the second one's got like a charging yeah, you through, charge you charge a, through the skin charge, and a remote you charge the battery yeah. for the uh, pacemaker portion right and I turned it off and I was sitting in the floor and I had to roll over onto my stomach and pull myself up to my knees I had my elbows on the couch pull myself up to my knees and I got up and I, I told Chelly I said I've turned it off and I didn't get it turned back on well, naturally, Shelly being Shelly, <laughs> you why, did you, why did you do that? You do that to yourself. <laughs> yeah. So I had to talk my granddaughter through turning it back on. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, you know, one of the things about that, Tommy, and everybody says this about you because through the whole process, and we'll talk about your walk in a minute, is your approach, your mental positivity, your sense of humor through this whole thing. I can't imagine somebody who didn't have your – your outlook would have as good a success as you've had because well, of their outlook, because jo joking about something like that right there, as serious as that is, and you can still joke about it. And I know because to me, it was funny. Well, 
<laughs> and I know your sense of humor. And I even remember when we were doing, we, we were live streaming football and stuff. And we were talking about, you're going to run a camera and you're like, oh, great. Give the person who needs to hold the camera still to a Parkinson's patient, you yeah. know, give the camera to me. But I mean, that kind of thing helps, I, I would assume helps you get through it. You have to kind of laugh or well, cry, don't you? I can tell. I mean, my body is, I, I, I feel different now than I did 10 years ago. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I can tell it's taking its toll. But, you know, I could be so much worse. Yeah. My aunt has ALS. Mm-hmm. I mean, prognosis for that is terminal. Mm-hmm. I mean, but she she's not lost her faith or her sense of humor. Right. So she hasn't, and I certainly shouldn't. Yeah, you know, um, and if you can't laugh at yourself, yeah, yeah, you know, uh, I could sit around, and that's why I work now, yeah, yeah. part time, is to get out of the house because right. of, if you the, sat around all day inside, and all I had to do yeah. was think about my situation and think about the things I can't do anymore. Right. Well, you know, I can't scoop it out. Well. So what? Right. I can bungee jump. <laughs> Is that in the works? You gonna bungee well, jump? Well, I mean, I've bungee jumped before. Uh, they well, say I can't skydive, but I think I could get a pad right there where I could skydive again. Uh, well, that's a that's a good transition now to talk about your walk thing because I remember getting a call from you and you said um, because we've been pretty close friends for a long time, and then you said, you know what? I've decided I'm going to walk across the country to raise money for Parkinson's. And I said, well, when? I'm thinking, you know, you're going to say next year <laughs> we're going to plan this. And you said, ah, uh, in about a month I'm gonna, or two well, weeks or whatever yeah, it was. Well, it's about five months. Yeah, that's what we are. Well, but, because I'm thinking, you know, I haven't been in broadcasting and we've been involved with a lot of things like that. I've, I've seen kind of the process of people who do similar well, things to raise money. And I'm thinking that's the kind of thing you plan out for years in advance before you do it i knew me i know me yeah if i had sat down for a year to plan it i probably wouldn't have done it (laughs) you'd had too much time to double yeah i I tell you how that happened i was in the bed recovering from one of the two surgeries i don't remember which one and channel three did a story on a man that had come across the country in a wheelchair. I don't remember specifically what charity it was for. Right. It was for some type of veterans charity, mm-hmm. either wounded warrior, pro, you know, one of those right. charities. And I thought, wow, you know what? That would be awesome to do as a Parkinson's patient since the uh, slogan that Parkinson's uses is just keep moving. Right. So I can just keep moving from L.A. to Gastonia. Right. Well, it turned out to be Fontana, which is a little bit outside of L.A., but that's neither here nor there. Yeah. Um, and I thought, well, I, I think I could do that. So I did what anybody responsible would do. I put it to my friend, put the, posed the question to all my friends on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> and they, without a doubt, all of them said, yeah, man, that sounds great. You should yeah. do it. Sounds great. Sounds great is the thing. And I, everything like that, I was saying it's a, and it was a great idea. Well, but the execution is the yeah, whole the other ex- thing. Yeah, the, the good you, had idea, to, you had to do it. The good idea and the execution were two different things. Yeah. 
It's but, like like Mike Tyson said, everybody has a plan until they get popped in the face. <laughs> <laughs> so then, so you you did the amount of planning that you could in the amount of time you had. What kind of planning went into that? I mean, I know because well, in my mind, when you told me, I'm thinking he's going to have to figure out. One, his route, and then along the route, where he's going to stop every day, what's well, he going to eat, where you're going to have, because a lot of, most people do that, have what they call a chase car or a follow car. That's, in other words, somebody that travels with them, but you didn't do that. Support. Yeah, support su- team. Support team, that's right. Team, meaning m- yes. multiple people. And looking back on it, probably should have had one. <laughs> <laughs> because there were times when you were walking through the middle of a desert or somewhere uh, by yourself, plain old by yourself. Oh, I was by myself a lot. Yeah. Uh, well, my plan was I, I bought all these atlases. And I, <laughs> yeah. I sit for weeks toiling yeah. through these atlases, and I highlighted a route. Yeah. That lasted about when I got to California – that route plan lasted about a week <laughs> because nothing went right. Yeah. Uh, I landed in LA and I, I was going to have to drive to Fontana, which is about 50 miles, I guess, yeah. out of LA. I didn't want to be walking through the streets of LA because I, I, I don't know LA. Right. I don't know where. Well, safety too. Yeah, I, mean, I was yeah, by myself. Yeah, big city like that. And uh, uh, I didn't have any protection with me other than me. Yeah. Uh, that's the time. Um, so I went to Fontana. Well, I landed in L.A., and I should have known this should have been the first red flag that things weren't going to go smooth. <laughs> I go to get my rental car, which I had prepaid for. Right. And she said, well, do you have a credit card? I said, no, I use my debit card. Yeah. And we went round and round about me not having a credit card for an hour. <laughs> Finally, she said, well, I'll let you take the car. So I took car and I, so i'm already an hour behind schedule i got don't get to the hotel till midnight now, i'm supposed to start the next morning yeah so i wound up taking an extra day from the get-go and staying in the hotel another night so i would be re- rested and ready to go right. i started with a backpack a 53 pound backpack yeah yeah <laughs> After about the first, I had some people that I knew from California, and they come to see me off. Yeah. One of them even hiked with me the first five miles. Yeah. About four miles into the five miles he walked, we stopped at a bus stop. Some homeless guy come across some really high-end clothes and <laughs> gear because I offloaded as much weight <laughs> as I could. <laughs> got to get rid of this. So somebody come up on that bus stop and they found long sleeve shirts and <laughs> socks and uh, all kinds of stuff that I found out there's a difference between what you want to take and what you need to yeah, take. Yeah. So once I got through everything I wanted to have with me, then broke it down to what I needed to have. It lightened up the load a little bit. So what did you find out that you needed? I know you carried water with you. For you needed water. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You needed water. And food, you had to have some kind of something to eat. Did, well, how did that, how'd you do that? The food, um, I just would stop at a restaurant mm-hmm. or a convenience store, whatever, just mainly try to eat protein because it was in some carbs. Yeah. Uh, and drinking. Hydration was the big thing. Yeah. But, and water's heavy. Water yeah. weighs like seven pounds something it's, a gallon. It's, so uh, It's about seven and a half pounds a gallon. Yeah. Um, so anyway, 
I, after a couple of days with the backpack, I realized the backpack was not going to be the way for me to cross the country. Right. I just wasn't physically going to be able to do it. Yeah. So got on Google, looked up a cart to pull yeah. behind me. Right. Well, that's what the guy that had hiked with me when I first started told me he did. He said, get you a cart. Yeah. So I wore, uh, with wore, bicycle wheels on it, kind yep. of, right? Yep. So I went to, uh, um, Another Fox News alert. Yeah. Went to a REI yeah. or some outdoor store, bought a cart. Shelly ordered me some poles that was hooked to the cart with a waistband around my waist so I could pull. Right. And, I was able and your to hands pull. were free. And mm-hmm. you could, yeah. So I did that about day four into it. Uh, it made it a lot easier to carry water. Yeah. Um, a lot easier to store. I could go, you know, to a grocery store and buy. Or a health store by freeze dried stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, stuff in small quantities that I could just stuff in that bag. Right. And then I had a, had dry bags with my clothes in them. And um, I probably the thing is with the weather, I didn't know what to expect, so I had to kind of throw some clothes in there for a little bit of everything. Well, that's what I'm saying because you when you were walking, you were traveling from California. You started out when probably September warmer. Yes, 1st. September. And then you were going to be going through some high elevation stuff at some point, or you tried to go south a little bit further south in the country, didn't you? To avoid some well, of the super high stuff. What I did was when I left California, my plan here goes the plan yeah, again. Yeah. My plan was to go um, in the Kingman, Arizona, through this just south of Las Vegas, Nevada. Right. Uh, but what that it, what I didn't realize is that uh, would have me going through the high desert of the eastern part of California. Yeah. Problem I had then was I could not carry enough water right. to sustain me for the amount of days I would be out in the desert. Right. To to make it walking. Right. So. Um, I made a choice, and I remember my neurologist said, don't do anything that's going to get you hurt or stupid. Well, too late, right? So, <laughs> so I thought, well, what if I just bypass the, the desert? And so that's what I did. I just I rented a car again, bypassed yeah. the desert, which was about 80 miles. Now, 80 miles doesn't sound far. Until you're <clears> walking. But when the, next close, when the nearest rest stop is like 50 miles between exits, you're talking yeah. for me traveling about 17 to 20 miles a day. See, and that's two and a half days. That's I was drinking two gallons of water a day. See, so that's that was, that's unbelievable. Yeah. Most people don't realize you think, <clears throat> some people do, I'm sure, but I remember when it comes, the only time I think I've ever walked 20 miles was the heart hike we used to do yeah. in, in the uh, in yeah. middle school. And I was much junior younger. High. Yeah, we were in middle school, junior high. Remember we Mr. walked Cole, from West Lincoln. Mr. Cole would hide yeah. juice all Right, over. yes. We walked from West Lincoln to to downtown Lincolnson and back, basically. Wasn't that it? Or, or started at the courthouse, started the courthouse West Lincoln. And, and back. back, that's what it was. That's what it was. And I remember after doing that the first time, and again, we were, we were junior young. high. And uh, um, I couldn't walk for three days after oh, that. I and yet you did it that much about every day i that that how did you, weren't you so sore the first few days because i know you trained some you walked well for, but you know walking there's only so much you can do um so did you, i was sore 
Yeah. Um, I, I took ibuprofen a lot. Yeah. Um, but you know, after the first couple weeks, I got into a rhythm. After I made it through Victorville, California, I got into a rhythm, you know, until I got sick. And then. Yeah, I remember you got, you had like some kind of. Bronchitis. uh, Bronchitis, yeah. Yeah, that that was an ordeal in and of itself. Um, But but yeah, once I got, once I developed a rhythm and um, I'd break the day down. I'd say, all right, I'm going to start early in the morning. I'm going to walk as much as I had planned to walk as before lunch as yeah. I can. Let's say I'd plan, uh, this gets back to the route. Right. When I, when, I, when I started, you know, I had all this planned out and it didn't work out that way. Yeah. So what I would do, I went to California, when I was in California, I bought a California roadmap. Yeah. Then the next thing I bought was an Arizona roadmap and I looked at where, where I could walk and have a shoulder to walk on and avoid big towns, but still have small areas to go through that had, yeah. had convenience stores and place to eat. And most of them had a, a little fire department or a police department where if I needed to, I could camp. Yeah. And you did a lot of camping. I did a lot of camping. Um, so that was my, that was how I navigated across the country. Is yeah. I would buy a map. It's the next state I was going to go to and just did it on the fly. Yeah. But anyway, once I got into a rhythm walking, I didn't stay, I didn't stay sore that much. Now, and I started in September, September 1st, and I finished January the 13th. I did not have one single blister on my foot. The mainly, basically the entire time. And I've credited it to duct tape. Yeah, that's what I remember you taping your toes. Uh, my whole entire whole foot. foot. Who told you to do that? How did you learn that? Uh, well, a guy that was in the military and worked for the Gaston County Police Department, he, at the time, lived in Tucson, Arizona. Mm. When I got... This is kind of a complicated part of this story, of the trip. <laughs> Let me let me preface this by telling you what's happened. Okay, yeah. so I've started the tr- started the hike. I've exchanged the backpack for a cart. Um, once I got the cart, I started. You know, I worked my way up through the high desert portion of California yeah. toward a place called um, Victorville. Yeah, Victorville. I got a flat tire on my cart. A um, thorn from a cactus caused it, isn't it? Yes, about a hundred thorns from well, a cactus. That's unbelievable. Either a thorn from a cactus can be stiff enough to puncture a tire. Yes, it did. It punctured a tire and it was yeah. flat. I remember and, uh, that. And uh, I went, I didn't know where the closest Walmart was. I went to several stores trying to find a, a tube because I, I didn't have tubeless tires. I had tires that had right. inner tube, which is how I learned again. <laughs> gonna do something like that. Tubeless tire might be the way to go. Yeah, yeah. A solid tire, I mean. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, so anyway, I was in Victorville. I looked it up on the map and I said, uh, "Fire station number one." So I I called an Uber. Put me and my flat tired cart in the Uber, and they dropped me off at the fire department. And I asked them. I showed them my little business card and showed them. Told him what I was doing. I had, you know, had all, I was dressed nicely uh, for a hiker. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. And uh, 
I said, uh, is there any way I can stay here tonight until I get a, a tube and just camp on the grass you have here in the back of your fire department? Yeah. And uh, they gave me a bottle of water and instructions to a homeless shelter. Yeah, that I remember that. That that was demoralizing for you. I know, and well, coming from, and, and from yeah, somebody yeah. who has a military police background, and you thinking that you're going to go lean well, a little that's bit. Exactly what I thought that they would open the arms right, of right. hospitality like we would here in the good old South. Yeah, yeah. And I thought they'll let me stay here because you know you're staying outside. It's not like you're going to the right, house. You're and, camping and out. They the had grass. the prettiest little patch of green grass you ever seen. Yeah, they give me water and. Instructions how to get to a, a homeless shelter, and I was demoralized mm. because I, I mean, I'd been hiking and I had this is my third or fourth really good day of hiking, but then I got the flat tire. So I found my way to a hotel called Shelly, and I was just <laughs> venting to Shelly about yeah. about what had happened. I went to bed, got up next morning, I'm gonna go get my tire fixed. I had been. I had made a Facebook page for the hike itself. Right. There were ninety six or ninety seven notifications. Yeah. Shelley had found this Portal Fire Department's <laughs> Facebook page. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, all the people back here in North Carolina were just blasting, them. giving them hell. There right. was even a district court judge, and uh, one of the district attorneys. Sent yeah. emails to the fire chief and the city manager. Yeah. <laughs> well, they reached out to me later that day and apologized. And, yeah. But anyway, I got got my tire fixed. Started hiking again. I'm in western Arizona. I got. I was just about. Let's see. I had made it to within. 50 miles of Flagstaff. Yeah. Which is where my route was taking me. Um, then, I start, then I got sick. Yeah. And I went to... Bronchitis. Bronchitis. And I got sick, so I called a friend of mine. And ultimately, it was the story, of, part of the story I wanted to get to. Um, his name was Brian, former police officer here in Gaston County. But he worked for ATF, and he was assigned to Tucson yeah. at the time. Well, I wasn't in the, the, his general area, but he called uh, an agent from Flagstaff, and they come and got me, rented another car, and drove to Tucson, where Brian lived, went to the doctor. The doctor said I needed to stay off my feet and inside for about four or five days until yeah. it cleared up. He's the one that told me about the tape. Taping your feet, yeah. And I called him QRF. For since then, quick reactionary force. It's a military term. It's right. people that come help you when you're in a bind. Right, right. And I called him several times. I, I would be coming into some small little town yeah. in about dark because I didn't want to hike at night. And I'd right. say, Brian, will you call such and such police department? I said, I know they've got, uh, they have to be on Google. He said, give me 30 minutes. Yeah. Next thing you know, I got a police officer showing up. Escort me into town after dark so I don't have to walk at night. Yeah. And uh, give me a place to camp. And he did that several times. So he's he's my QRF guy. Yeah. But he's the one that told me about the, the, the tape in your toes. Now that you've done it and looking back on it, 
and um, and 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 uh, by the way, I was going to tell everybody this too. We one of the things I wanted to do, but because you were such in a hurry to get it done, and I was still <laughs> working at the time, um, and had to you know also make a living, but um, was to follow you and videotape a lot of stuff. But you you use your phone to to video well, and take pictures when you could of stuff, and then we took all that stuff and we put it together and kind of made a little mini documentary. It's about yeah. half an hour something long well, i'll put a link in the the this so people can go watch it but then you can see a lot of the places you were uh because a lot of the things that you filmed you were by yourself in a tent in a storm uh yeah. taping your toes whatever it might have been that's that's what you did yeah then somewhere in texas in a windstorm that lightning carried me and my tent <laughs> away yeah and but the thing i was going to ask you is having done not all would you do it over again I would, but I would have a support team. <laughs> and multiple QRFs, right? <laughs> well, the thing, you know, I think you you said this before I left, you know, talking about how quickly it come together. Looking back on it, I think, yeah, in my haste to do it, um, I've never really been patient when it comes to things I really, really, really want to do. Right. Um, you know, it's just like when I got certified scuba dive. Yeah. I went to class as fast as I could go. Yeah, yeah. And every time that they were having you know, something in the water, I'd go to get my certification. But looking back on it, definitely would have had a support team because the support team, and I, you know, I learned this the hard way, alleviates all the problems. Yeah. Number because one, number one, somebody's with me. Mm -hmm. Number two, I don't have to carry anything. Yeah, maybe a, a camelback right. if I want to, just to have more water right. than is in a little twenty ounce bottle. Yeah, but they would have all the water. Yeah, everything when I need something. And going through the desert then would have not been would have been zero trouble. Because I think for people to understand, there were some times when you literally stopped where you were walking at that spot, and then you camped right there got up the next morning, started walking from that spot. There were other times when you couldn't camp where you stopped or whatever that, where you'd have to go to a hotel or somewhere, then come back to that point and continue the walk, right? Well, I went from west to east, and I right. started in September in the fall, right. finished in the wintertime. So as I'm coming east, the days are getting shorter. Right. I didn't want to hike at night just because of safety. the safety factor. Yeah. So what I had to do on my map, since I didn't have support, is see where I was at, see where I realistically could make it to before dark, right? And try my best to get there. Yeah. Now there were some days where I'd come up. My, well, Michael, when my brother joined me out west, we were we were coming up to a town. We could see the town. Mm -hmm. We we were less than three miles away. Yeah. But it was just getting dark. Yeah. Um, and that was a, that was one where we couldn't, there was nowhere to camp where we were hiking. Yeah. Just because of the terrain. It was too rocky. Yeah. Um, and I called my QRF. <laughs> he had a sheriff's deputy come, and the deputy took us to, you know, two or three miles right. down in the town, and we found us a hotel room. Yeah. Uh, most of the time when I was by myself, I tried to, yeah, you know, I tried to time it where I had about a thirty-minute window to find a place to camp and mm -hmm. pitch my tent. Because most of the places just on the side of the road wasn't 
Yeah. Wasn't really adequate. Right. Um, well, and not and safe. Given, I mean, the, given the time of year, I couldn't just throw up a hammock. Right. Because it was raining. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, um, especially as I got further east, it started getting toward winter time, and the, the weather started getting worse. I mean, yeah. the day one of the hike, it was 108 degrees in Good California. Grief. January 1st, when I crossed into North Carolina, it was 7 degrees and snowing. I remember that when you were coming through Asheville yes, and up in that yes, area. Yes, yes, and that was bitter cold. Yeah, I remember. Um, How many times during the walk did you think, I, why did I do this? Second guess yourself, huh? I Every really, day? Yeah, especially <laughs> those first few days when things yeah. weren't going well. I mean, the way it started off with the pack being too heavy, getting the thorns in the tire and the, being turned away by the fire department, yeah. getting bronchitis. I mean, just the whole first month, it was just one thing after another. And I thought, maybe I'm not supposed to be doing this for some reason or another. But once my brother got out there and he was out there with me for about two and a half weeks, yeah, we made pretty good time. I was able to push myself. We, yeah. we did a lot of 20-plus mile days right? because I felt like with him there, I could push it a little harder. Uh, right. Something happened. He's he's, he's there. there for you. Right. Yeah. And now Michael, um, he he would he would barrel ahead of. Now I'll tell you two things about Mike when we were there. <laughs> he would get way ahead of me so he could rest, and then when I get back up to him, he'd take off again. <laughs> oh uh, man! But now the two of us, I have a two-year degree. He's got a four-year college degree. It took us until about four days before he left to realize that we could take his backpack off and put, put it, it on top. No, put it on top of the cart, <laughs> and one of us at a time just take turn about carrying yeah. that. <laughs> That's fun, man. It's I I, I think uh, it's hard to to tell all the stories and and but that if anybody wants to watch that little documentary thing, yeah. you see that there's a lot of pictures in there that you took. I I mean I helped try to put it together, but you took them all and. You got it tells really the, the the story of the walk much better because you can see kind of the progress of how it went along and everything. So yeah, uh, but but what? Um, but now getting back at the Parkinson's thing because that's why you did the walk. Before we wrap up here in a minute, is w- what is what does the future look like for you? In other words, your brain surgery, everything's still working like it's supposed to, and yeah, yeah. I know uh, you have good days and bad days, uh, but yeah, the, the probably. Uh, you probably noticed I'm speaking a lot better now than I was when yeah. we started. Yeah. And that's just the way my day goes. Uh, something as simple as talking. Yeah. Some days it's hard. So. I, when you say that, I remember one time we were together and you said when you chewed gum, it seemed to make you help, help your speech somehow or another. Was that still? I don't, the- know how, I don't know how to explain it. If I'm chewing something in my mouth, whether yeah. it's a, a, like a fruit chew or something, yeah, it's like it forces me to enunciate better right um more clearly yeah than if i'm just talking but mm. now i took my medication about hour and a half ago mm-hmm. or so before i came here and now this is about the peak of it right um for you know the next few hours and that's that's why people listening probably can tell a difference in my enunciation and tone now as opposed to when we first started yeah 
So I was going to, so you, you were taking all the medication. This is for people interested in the process of the Parkinson's and how it affects you. You were taking all the medication, getting the DBS, the brain surgery, helped you eliminate a lot of medication, but you still have to take some. Yes. And, and probably as you continue along, you have to still keep adjusting medications and adding yeah, this and that, that's don't you? That's exactly right. That's yeah. exactly right. And that's, that's just part of it. Yeah. Um, and it took me a while to come to grips with that. Right. But, I mean, there's still so much I can do. Um, right. I, I'm not working out like I should, but I, mean, I can still walk. Uh, I, I've tried to jog some. It's, yeah. It's a little hard on my joints. I, yeah. That could be a Parkinson's thing or it could be a waste of a gut problem. <laughs> Was it my stomach? Something is a joke about being fat and your. I can't remember now. Parkinson's. My memory's bad. (laughs) That's right. That's right. It'll come to me. Yeah. When we're all done, it'll come to you. Yeah. Well. um, I got to say, like I said before, your positive attitude about this whole thing and everybody I talk to who knows you uh, will say, you know, that uh, Tommy's always positive about it and moving forward. I guess that's really the only way you can be, because if you if you don't stay positive, you're going to commiserate and make yourself miserable. And um, there are enough challenges there without creating more for yourself, I guess. Well, I just think about I mean, I don't think about what what's ailing me so much as I think about my aunt yeah. and what she's facing. Yeah, the one with people, ALS. People with things, well, like Angie. I worry about Angie. Yeah. Um, that's, y'all went through a lot more than I ever could think well, of. Well, and, and Angie was, is a breast cancer survivor, and she's all good and everything's going well with that, but, but, <clears throat> but that happens to people every day. We'll have um, to do an episode about about that kind of thing one but time. But I, I, you know, I think about that and when I say I've only got Parkinson's, that's what I'm getting at. Yeah. It could be. It could be worse. It could be so much worse. I can still drive. Yeah. Um, I can. I can still, you know, play outside. My granddaughter, um, throwing a volleyball to her, yeah. letting her hit it. And um, the main thing, you know, I said I haven't lost my independence. Is right. The big thing. Right. And because I, I know a lot of patients with all types of ailments, once they lose their last little bit of independence, um, that's when things tend to go south. Mm-hmm. And I, I try not to dwell on that. But yeah, I know what's ahead eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually, the DBS is going to work a little bit less, a little bit more less effective than it is now. But I can't harp on that. Well, the other thing too, man, is the um, the whole purpose of your walk was to raise money, which you did to mm-hmm. give to Parkinson's research. And you never know; uh, we we could be, you know, discoveries happen all the time. We could yeah. be around the corner a year or two from a, a major discovery that can, well, you know. I'm still mad at Doctor Oz. <laughs> why, is, why is that? He, he said about 13 <clears throat> years ago that in 10 years we'd have Parkinson's wiped out. So he's three years behind schedule. Yeah, so he's on my. Well, my list. You know, if it's any, cons- <laughs> if it's any consolation, I remember looking at uh, Popular Mechanics when we were in middle school, and it said we'd have flying cars by now too. But we don't yeah, have the only flying cars we have is the ones that take off the ground in NASCAR races. Yeah, exactly, exactly. 
Well, man, I, I appreciate you being part of the podcast. <clears throat> I have learned one thing about starting a podcast is um, it's um, it's more challenging than I thought because uh, when you're when you're starting from scratch and you know, especially in a town where you, there's not a lot of other media. We we yeah. talked to you grew up across the street from Lanny Ford pretty much yeah. and Kraus, which was one of our first guests. And so he's gracious enough to be one. And we got some other guests scheduled to be on here. So hopefully we can turn into yeah. something, but, but Lanny, I appreciate that. And Lanny's a good friend. He just likes the wrong kind of orange. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But you know what? Um, I'm glad you came on, man. And, and I know that um, if anybody wanted to reach out who has somebody in their family with Parkinson's or is looking at the DBS surgery or something yeah. that they can reach out. I've got the email for the podcast. We're going to give out your number or whatever, but they can reach out and I'll get them in touch with you to, to talk to them because that's I know I've, I've actually had a few people who through friends of friends of friends go, Hey, didn't, didn't your friend have that DBS surgery? You think yeah. you'd mind talking to me about well, it? Because I'm thinking about that. And I'd be glad to. Yeah. Uh, it was by far the best decision I've made yeah. in my treatment. Yeah. So if you're eligible, I say go for it. Cool. All right. Tommy Dellinger. Thank you, ma'am. Yes, sir. The uh, little mini documentary we did a few years ago about Tommy's walk across the country with pictures and video and all that stuff. Uh, the link to that is in the podcast notes. And if you have an idea for a podcast guest or topic, then let us know. And we'll see you next time.